December 30th, 2012. You can come a little closer. December 20th, 30th, December 30th, 2012, in Chennai, Bhagavad Gita, Chapter 7, Text 7, 8, and 9. Please come forward.
technology. Sutre Mani Gana Iba. Mani is pearls. Gana is a group. So a group of pearls. And in a group of pearls, there's a string. So just like even with your Kuntimala, That's the whole science of 
archaeology is like that. They, they dig in the ground and they decide this is just an ordinary rock and this is a stone tool. Correct? They can tell the difference. So how do we tell the difference? What is it that indicates to us that there's personal intelligence? So I want you to get into this. It's going to take 10 minutes. I want you to think of at least two examples, looking at things in the world, how you can explain that there's personal intelligence behind it. Okay? So if you could please, you, you three and you four, and you make groups of about four ladies each. Okay, let's ask first this group of the ladies. What did you come up with?
okay, I'm correct you, and you bring down everything. So there was entrances which was behind it, which actually arranged the things in a proper way. So even in this particular scenario, right, I need to scientifically, we can say that because of the heat, the water molecules go up, they are to the air, there's a wind going because of the air change in pressure, and there are cycles. But there should be an entrances. If, if, if all these things, even small minutes which happen here, there's requires so much entrances which is behind that. So even for such a big phenomenon to happen, Uh, vacuum to create a 
not, it's, it's not something that's easy. It requires, again, a lot of money and a lot of intelligence and a lot of brain power, and then it doesn't even necessarily work. So that means that when conception is happening naturally, there must also be some brain power and some intelligence behind it. Okay, and one of our, did we get your group yet? No, okay, it's a group. No human being has been able to create a seed because you can't be 
looks like butter, tastes something like butter, acts something like butter. Not exactly. Not exactly. And then it will make you sick. They cannot even turn one kind of milk into another kind of milk. Like they tried to turn cow milk into human milk. If, they, if any scientist could do this, they would make so much milk. They cannot make an artificial baby formula that is just like human milk. Close, but they can't do it exactly. And so how much intelligence must go into that each species is providing exactly the perfect kind of milk? I think like a whale baby, it gains 200 pounds a day. So what's that, like a 1,600 kg or something like that? Every day, gaining the weight. So So each, each particular species has exactly the perfect. That's not even creating life. Creating a grain of rice, you're creating life. But just, just to make, you know, one, to make sheep's milk into cow's milk, or cow's milk into human milk, or just even to take a bunch of chemicals and put them together and create milk, they can't do it. Interesting. Okay, so what, uh, we have another group here, Rick?
always the case. You know, whatever. Yes? And that is certainly a true answer. But I'm also thinking 
Thakur says in Jaya Dharma that the material world is also Krishna's lila. So this means that Krishna is also getting pleasure here. And I was thinking about the pleasure that we all get from hiding. So sometimes we do something very wonderful, but we don't let anybody know that we did it. Sometimes we like people to know that we did it. Just like we have the sign in the temple, big sign, very big sign, thank you to the donor, okay? And the donor may be happy every time they come to the temple to see this sign. Ah, oh, I have gone to this temple, okay? Actually, of course, so many people go to the temple, not just that person. But sometimes it's nice to hide also. You may do something for somebody and nobody knows you did it. And they're just saying, oh, who cleaned the room? Who did this? And you're just hiding. Have you ever done this? Have you done something and you don't let anybody know that it was you? And it's like you're enjoying. Have you done this ever? And you're kind of behind the scenes and you're watching Everyone is just amazed. Oh, who's done this? Who's done this? So this is also fun. I was thinking about the uh, a government, the secret agents, you know, the spies. So many times, these secret agents are very important in what is happening in the government. And they're very important in war, especially. But their name is usually not in the history books. Nobody's giving their name. What's his name? Uh, Osama bin Laden was killed. So the American government, the American president, he says, I cannot tell you the names of the people who are responsible. They're hidden. And you can just imagine that one of these people, they're sitting at home with their family, and they're watching on the television set, the president is saying this, and they're saying, that was me. In that and being secret. So there's Krishna's hiding because the materialists don't want to see him, and he's also hiding because it's fun. Now, there's another part of hiding that's fun, and that is a game when we were children. I'm sure you played this game, hide and seek. So you're hiding and somebody finds you. So Krishna enjoys hiding, and he enjoys also being found. When we find him, oh, Krishna, I found you. I found you. You are the thread underneath the pearls. So this also gives him pleasure. So we should be doing this in our throughout our day, looking where is the thread. And this is in everything, you know, in how we are digesting our food, how the light is coming on in the room, Now, sometimes it's very clear that there is some superior intelligence. I mean, I'm sure this happens to all of you, that you're leaving your house and you say, oh, I forgot something. And you go back and you take another 10 minutes. And because you took that other 10 minutes, you meet somebody that you wouldn't have met otherwise. And that person, does, it's a very dramatic thing in your life. I remember when my husband was trying to start a business for many, many years, a 
software business name. He's uh, now he's retired, but he was a software engineer, and he was never successful. He tried and it wasn't successful. Tried and wasn't successful. So the temple president and the community where we were living said, just get a job and start a business on the side, and when the business is successful, then you quit your job. So he was trying a little something, and I went to the wedding of a friend, and I needed one devotee who was going to give me a ride to the train station to get to the airport. And he was late, so I went to his place to look for him. Who are you coming? I'm going to miss my train. He said, oh, sorry, I'm putting together a computer. Oh, what do you do? Oh, I have a business assembling computers. I said, oh, that's interesting. So I took his name. And from that, my husband started a hardware business. So just, you know, I happened to be, I didn't know this person, but just from going to somebody's wedding and someone gives me a ride and they were late and all these little things, and this became a very successful business. Also, one time when he, he received some uh, parts, the box had inside of it the invoice from the other supplier. So he was able to go around the middleman and go to the Western and go to the top supplier. So these things, are, they seem to be by chance. Right? They seem to be, oh, it's just chance. But how is it possible? How is it that you make a decision? One time I missed being in a car accident by maybe two meters. and I, either I would have died or I would have been permanently crippled. The, the car was coming right, I was driving, the car was coming right at the driver's side of the car. And it just went in front, just went right in front of my car instead of hitting me. And I was thinking again, if I was driving a little faster or a little slower, or if I hadn't stopped to get petrol this time, and this, you know, little things like that. And I was the only other car on the road. And when the car ran in front of me, it went into the forest next to the highway. And it was nighttime. And so I was the only one who saw this car. And I thought, if I hadn't been here, because I went to call the police and said, there's a car there, and somebody's injured or killed, the person could be there for a very, very long time. And I was thinking, how many different things had to come together for me to be exactly at this place at exactly this time. And if I was two seconds faster, I would have died. Or been, I mean, really injured, not like little. You know, and if I was five minutes later, I wouldn't have seen it. So sometimes we see there's somebody else because we're thinking, okay, I'm making the decision to spend five minutes more here. I'm making the decision to do this. I'm making the decision to do that. I wonder, I wonder who's really making the decisions. You, know, you all have this sort of experience? Yes. So that to also see how Krishna is acting in our life. Who do we meet? What happens to us? How do things come together that you really, you just can't really explain if you're thinking, well, it's just my choice. You know, my choice that I, or, or 
why did I forget this thing in the house? Why did I leave it this time? Why did I go at this time? Why did I talk to this person? And some, somehow it's all fitting together. So this is your homework, home fun, that, of course I won't be here next week, but I'd like you to really look in your life and notice every day at least one thing. At least one thing every day. How is Krishna hiding behind this? And he'll be very happy that you find him. Sometimes it may take a little work to find him. Even the gopis had to work to find him for a while. And he ran away during the last week, you know? You know that story? And they had to look for him for a while. Mother Soda also has to look for Krishna for a while when he steals the letter. She can't immediately find him. And the cowherd boys, they're playing games like that. Also, Krishna's hiding, and they can't find him. So we can also think like this, because Chilaprabha says in the nectar devotion that this nectar devotion is to prepare us to love Krishna in one of these five dresses. So please don't think that that is for somebody else. This is for all of us. We are all going to, if we are following this bhakti yoga process properly, then at some day we will start to feel some attraction for Krishna in one of these five dresses. And we are being trained like that. So we can also think like that. When I'm looking for Krishna hiding in my life, I'm being trained that one day in the Lokrindavan, I will also be playing hide and seek with Krishna. It's actually fair. Okay, let's go on to the next verse. These verses, of course, are, these are verses that are quoted very often by Srila Prabhupada. This is verse 8. We can say together. It actually is Krishna. 
Now this Rasa is very interesting because Srila Prabhupada says that this is actually the taste of anything. And, and Prabhupada several times says that even if someone is drinking alcohol, if they're drinking some wine, they can think the taste of this wine is Krishna. And he says eventually they'll become a saintly person. Sadistic pleasure. Not necessarily sadistic. 
which is a combination a combination of chivalry and gasliness. So they're trying to enjoy Krishna. So I'm always trying to enjoy Krishna. Whatever I enjoy, it's actually Krishna. So if I understand that and I start thinking, oh, this is Krishna. Prabhupada said, just by doing that, eventually you become a saintly person. Now, an intelligent person will say, if what I am enjoying is actually Krishna, why not enjoy it properly? Why not enjoy it in, in the way that will give me the most pleasure? Prabhupada would say Krishna is the reservoir of all pleasure. Just like if there's a big feast and if you go and steal a little something and you're eating it, but the person who has the feast, they're inviting you to come to the feast. You don't steal it, it's not necessary. When you're stealing, you can just get a little bit. You don't actually become satisfied. And you're always in anxiety that you're going to get into trouble. So instead of stealing a little bit of pleasure and not even feeling satisfied, why not actually go to the feast and legitimately have the whole thing? So this is a much better than just trying to stop enjoying it. You just tell yourself, what I'm doing is bad, I just want to stop it. It's not very effective. Have you found this very effective? No. So instead you say, what I'm enjoying is actually Krishna. Let me enjoy Krishna properly. Just like Prabhupada would say, you put the food in the stomach. Now, if I want to enjoy water, you were talking specifically about water, I have to put it in my mouth. If I just put the water in my nose, sometimes that happens, right? The water goes in your nose. So that's not pleasurable. So actually what I'm enjoying is Krishna. And whatever taste I get from anything is Krishna. It's Krishna. So why not do it properly? How do I do it properly? By enjoying in relation to Krishna, by enjoying a service to Krishna. That's how I enjoy properly. And then I get much, much, much more pleasure than trying to enjoy separately from Krishna. Then I get the actual rasa. Then I get the actual rasa. You know, if I just watch some sad movie and I'm crying at the sad movie, that's something. But if I'm crying that Krishna's going to Mathura, leaving everybody in Vrindavan, then I will actually enjoy it. You know, just watching some movie and somebody's in love and they die. And that's not going to really satisfy. The satisfaction I want is in Krishna. All right, the light of the sun and the moon. So whenever we see any kind of light, Actually, right now we can do that. So there's some light in this room. We have this fluorescent light here. And the light is coming in through the windows. So why don't we notice right now the light and meditate on how this light is actually Krishna. 
what is the wonder of Krishna as light? Okay, sound in ether. So Prabhupada I'm talking about this, this wonderful lectures that Prabhupada gives on these verses. That actually all sounds, again, are Krishna. But when they're covered by the different modes of nature, then we may not appreciate them. But actually sound in general is Krishna. It's also interesting how that those who are Krishna conscious or who are at least in the mode of goodness, they like harmonious sounds. They like sounds that are beautiful or else they like silence. Like Lord Shiva meditates under a tree and there's no birds in that tree because he wants complete silence. So those who are in the mode of goodness or transcendent, they want silence or music. But those who are in the lower modes, they like noise. We find the modern industrial cities, they're full of just noise. And even a lot of modern music. A few years ago, I was at the Woodstock Festival in Poland, where Indra Swami has a big preaching program. And we were taking Ratiatra Festival through the crowd. So we came to this one group of people. They were all dressed completely in black clothing. And they had like strange makeup and their appearance was very peculiar. And they were playing some music that sounded like animals growling. It sounded like dogs and wolves and bears. Like,
flowers. Another jasmine. Anything. This fragrance is coming from Krishna. 
again, it's, it's an amazing the variety and the, how we can tell one smell from another and this flower from that flower. And it each has their own unique fragrance. And then the heat, so not only the sunlight, but any heat. So the heat in our body, of course, later Krishna will say that he's the digestive fire, but the temperature in our body, the, the warmth, we all associate warmth with life. If something is alive, it has heat. Correct? And how you know that the body is dead is it becomes cold. And we associate warmth with love also. At least in English, we have also in Tamil. If, if somebody is very caring and loving, you say they're a warm person. You also have like that. If you say, oh, oh, you, what did you think of this person? Oh, he's very cold. We mean there's no feeling. We don't actually mean touch them and they're cold. So this idea of warmth and cold having to do with life, with love, with compassion, with relationships. And so this is Krishna. This literal heat, the actual warmth, the heat we feel in our body. Actually it's very interesting when you ask people, what do you need to live? Physiologically, what do you need? So first thing you need to live is air. And next thing after air is no. heat, proper temperature. So you can live without air maybe for like six minutes. Without water, you can live for six to ten days without water. Did you know that? The body gets cold. Too cold or too hot. Finish. Yes, to digest. That we'll say later. Uh, but it's funny, eh? no matter who I ask, nobody thinks about temperature. But temperature is very important. We can only live with a small range of temperatures. Yeah, not. But even in our external environment, if it gets too hot, too cold, we can't live anymore. You know, we can make some other arrangement. We can light a fire, or we can have an AC, or something like that. But if the temperature is too hot to go, we cannot live. So this heat is also Krishna. <laughs> so the, the, the heat that we feel in the room from the sun, or the heat from the fire, that is Krishna. The, the warmth from others, that is also Krishna. Okay, the life of all that lives, so the sense of being alive. And this is a very hard thing to describe. But we all have some sense of being alive. A sense of energy, isn't it? Of vitality. The Latin word vita means life. And although people want to live for a long time, they don't want to live for a long time sickly and tired. What we want is a long life full of energy. So this sense of energy, this sense of aliveness, this feeling of life and energy, and it's very attractive. One thing that's extremely attractive 
to us is somebody who's full of energy and full of life. This is one reason why youth is so attractive. Obviously, when people are young, they're also physically more attractive. Their hair, their skin, etc., is more attractive. But it's not just that. Another thing that attracts us to youth is youthful energy, youthful vitality. You know, when you get older, you get tired more. You don't, don't have the same life energy. So this, this feeling of energy, of life, that is Krishna. And the penances of ascetics, so our ability to do difficult things, our ability to forego pleasure, to be renounced, to be detached, that's also a pleasure. It's, it's pleasurable to be able to give up pleasure. Isn't it? Interesting. Why? Because that's another of the six opulences. One of the six opulences is renunciation. Renunciation, by the way, is a more pleasurable opulence than the others. Do you know why? Because you have more control over it. It's very difficult to control how beautiful you are. Even if you go to the doctor and you buy a lot of cosmetics and so forth. It's difficult to control how famous you are, how rich you are, how much knowledge you have, how much strength you have, but how renounced you have you are, that's much easier. So it's a, it's a much higher pleasure actually. And without being renounced, the other pleasures are not attractive, the other opulences are not attractive. If someone is very beautiful but proud, it's not very attractive. If someone is rich and proud of their riches, it's not very attractive. Correct? If someone is, is very smart, but they're very attached to their intelligence and they're very proud of it, it's not very attractive. So all of the other opulences become attractive with renunciation, and renunciation is a very high pleasure. So this ability to be renounced, that is Krishna. The ability to say, no, I'm not going to have another piece of sweet ball, the ability to master the body, to fast. Oh, I fasted for a whole day. That, that ability and that pleasure in that, that is also pushing. So whenever we want to do any austerity, the ability to do that austerity and the pleasure from that austerity are also Krishna. So becoming Krishna conscious is not difficult. Right? It's not that to become Krishna conscious you have to be some big body. Just these are very simple things. Our sense of life, whatever taste we experience in anything, our abilities, light, heat, fragrance, and finding in Krishna the hidden string under the pearls. So we have just a few minutes, about five minutes, if anybody has anything else they want to discuss.